Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, Jim Richards here. Good to talk to you. You know what? As always, we're here talking to you about how to live life at its best. Man, that's what Jesus came to do for you, for me, for everybody that would be willing to believe on him. And, you know, you know, sometimes when you say something like that, okay, this is for everybody that believes on him. Some people in their mind say, oh, well, you know, that's conditional. That's, you know, that's a... Uh, 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 why should you have to believe on it? God loves us. If God loves us, then he just does this for everybody. No, you know, because the truth is uh, believing on Jesus is when we take his teachings and, and put them in practice. You know, uh, uh, if, you get a, if you get an automobile and it breaks down, there's some kind of problem with it. Well, you're going you're gonna to go to the manual and you're going to say, you know, how do I fix this problem? How do I make this thing run properly? And, uh, you know, if you just say, you know, well, you know, I, I don't want to have to, that's legalism for me to have to follow the manual. Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to end up walking. Uh, it's, it's, it's really strange how mystical we try to make everything with God when it is so incredibly practical. You know, uh, if you were with me last week, which by the way, if you have not watched last week's program, you might want to go watch it before you dive into this week's because I'm building one program on top of the other to get a solid, consistent message here. And by the way, today we're talking about the deceptive power of words or the power of deceptive words. And uh, uh, so we're going to jump into that in just a minute because it's so, going to be so critically important. I'll tell you, the, what you're going to get today is just going to help you in so many areas of your life to reduce conflict, stress, strife. But more than anything, it's going to help you in reading, understanding the Bible, real, coming to understand what God says, never getting confused, and that, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I talked last week about a lot of things that I started off with when I became a believer I was so fortunate that I had a, an, an elderly, retired interim pastor. It was really interesting because it was a little Baptist church, and he told me, he said, he said, I'm retired now. I can say what I want to say. And, uh, and he did, boy. Uh, you can count on that. But uh, one of the things he told me, you know, here in Huntsville, Alabama, we have more PhDs per capita than any city in the United States. We have the highest dollar income per capita in the South. Uh, the, the, uh, this is one of these, this is one of these cities that uh, on the Today Show and different places, you know, they highlight this city every few years, which I wish they wouldn't. I really don't, I really like it the way it is. I don't really care for it growing much more, but it probably will. Uh, but uh, so, so when you pastor a church, I pastored a church here for over 30 years, you're speaking to uh, a scientist. You're speaking to uh, uh, people who, a physicist. You're speaking to incredibly educated people here, as well as just kind of, you know, your common people that come and go. But in a city that's got more PhDs per capita than these cities in the United States, trust me, you're always speaking to some really, really intelligent people. And that first pastor told me, he said, Jim, you want to understand something about the Bible and about people. He said, the Bible 
is the only book in the world that when intelligent people open it, they immediately lose their mind. And you know, I wasn't sure I understood what he was, what he was talking about. I thought I did. And uh, turned out to be, I was, sadly, I, I was right. And it is amazing how intelligent people can go to the Word of God and out of their need to make it say certain things, out of their need to see God a certain way, out of their mystic concepts of, of, of God and religion and spirituality, how we can twist the Bible up and make it so difficult. Listen, what we're going to do in this series, because we're talking about 10 words that will change everything you know about God. Uh, we're wanting to get this simplified for you. We're wanting to kind of remove all of the all of the confusion that has been added to our understanding of the Word of God because they were deceptive words. Now, uh, Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it." will eat its fruit. It's kind of interesting because I looked up that word tongue in the Hebrew and, and that, that word tongue in the Hebrew uh, uh, has this, this concept of, uh, and it can, it can be for you, it can be against you, but it has this concept of the, the lamet, the Hebrew letter uh, lamet, which is a person crying out to God. And then it has the picture of the, the shin, which is the represents fire, which is passion. And then it has the picture of the noon, which is a tent peg. And now a tent peg anchors things. And one of the, one of the things that the tent peg does, it anchors God's word here in planet earth. And it's, it's uh, it, the noon is also, uh, uh, or excuse me, not the noon, the Bob. And so, so, um, Words can stir up passions in people and words can move people to to humble themselves toward God or they can humble themselves or they can uh, stir up rebellion toward God. And and what's crazy is uh, that is not based on whether or not we truly, truly understand the correct interpretation of the word. Now, redefining words is one of the most powerful and subtle tactics for twisting the truth. You know, we think that because someone is using a word out of the Bible, that they mean the same thing the Bible means when it uses that word. I'm telling you what, uh, if, if you believe that, you will have conversations with people and you will think that you're in agreement and you will walk away and, and, and just the opposite of what you thought was going to happen is going to happen and you're, you're going to be totally con confused uh, because you're, you're going to think that you were in agreement. You know, I, I've shared this story a couple of times and uh, I'm not trying to be critical of any denomination or any group. I'm just telling you the story. Uh, you know, when I first got saved, you know, I, I had this passion to reach my generation because my generation was not being reached. You know, we were the 60s generation, you know, love, sex, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, man. And, and that's, that's, you know, that's what it was. And, and so the, the previous Christian generations had no idea how to relate to us. You know, there was actually, I remember I had a Bible uh, a college teacher and, uh, uh, when I was doing my undergraduate work. And I remember talking to him one time and, and uh, uh, they'd, uh, uh, so, somehow a picture had circulated of me with really long hair. 
and he thought that I was gay before I got saved just because I had long hair. I mean, that's, that's how out of touch they were and how, you know, how they stereotype people had no understanding of our generation. Well, that's pretty much the way it is, you know, always. Every new generation, uh, the, whether, it's, whether it's the older politicians or the older ministerial leaders, there's this incredible disconnect. And so, man, I wanted to take the gospel to my, to my generation, and I did. I, I tell you, I, I wasn't saved very long at all, and I was, I was out winning people to Jesus and, and uh, introducing people to the Lord. I told this story, I think, not, not that long ago. I told part of it. Uh, so, man, I'm, I'm, I'm leading all these young teenagers and hippies to the Lord and you know, out on the streets playing music and all, doing all that kind of stuff. And so I get a call from a woman and she says, if you don't stop, uh, I, I can't remember the term that she used, but she, if you don't stop bringing our young people to Jesus, we're going to have you killed. And she meant it. And uh, so I, I, I went, I, you know, I, went, I found out who she was. And so I went to her son who had given his life to the Lord. I said, well, you know, what, what's the deal here? And, she, and he said, well, well, she's Catholic. And, and, and the priest is really upset that you're out here uh, winning people to Jesus. Well, you know, I was young. I didn't know anything about what hardly any denomination believed. I, you know, I just, I barely even knew what I believed. I just knew that uh, you give your life to Jesus, you get born again, and bam, suddenly you got, you, you got a new world. And so, so, you know, that's all I knew. So I just could not understand why this priest and all of these Catholics were so upset about me winning their kids to Jesus. I, I, I wasn't trying to get them out of the Catholic Church. I, I would have thought they would be elated, you know, that somebody was out here doing this. So, you know, I, I did what I always do in these kinds of situa situations. I just went straight to the source. So I go to the, to the local Catholic priest and introduce myself. And, and it's like, you know, I'm... I, I, I'm I understand you're upset and people in your church are upset uh, because of me winning these kids to Jesus. And so, you know, we, we talked a little bit. And he was very tactful and diplomatic, really, really was a pretty nice guy. But so, so I said, so are you saying that it's wrong to evangelize these kids? He says, no, 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 no. We believe in, evangel in, in evangelizing. I'm thinking, well, then, then what's the problem? And so I said, so, so all I'm really doing is I am, um, you know, I'm bringing, I'm introducing these kids to Jesus so that they can get born again. And I said, so do you guys believe in, you know, getting born again? And he said, absolutely, we believe in getting born again. So we're having this conversation, but it's one of those conversations where you're like, uh, you know, we're saying the same words here, but it's almost like we're speaking a different language. And, and you know, we're not connecting. We don't mean the same thing. I, and I couldn't figure out what it was. I was pretty young and pretty raw at the time. So I don't really remember how I got down to it. But finally, I said, well, well wait a minute. Now, you, so you believe in evangelizing. Well, you know, evangelizing, according to the scripture, the word evangelize is to proclaim the good news about Jesus. You know, what he, him coming down on the cross. And uh, so I said, so you believe in evangelism. Oh, yes, we believe that. I said, well, what, what is evangelism? When you do evangelism, what is it? He said, well, evangelism is getting people to join the church to become a Catholic. And I said, no, evangelism is getting people, is preaching the good news about Jesus and converting 
people, getting people born again and converting them to, to be believers in, in the Lord Jesus. He said, no, evangelism is getting people to convert to the church. And, I'm, and so, I'm, you know, I didn't have a big argument with him. I'm just kind of like, whoa, that's not in the Bible anywhere. And so, you know, we talked for a few minutes. I said, so, so now you said you believe in people getting born again. I said, how would you describe what it is when a person gets born again? And he says, when a person gets born again, really means when they get baptized. I'm like, well, no, there's, there's a Greek word for baptism in there. And it has nothing to do with, with getting born again. It's what, something does, it's what somebody does because they get born again, but it's not getting born again. And, and that was my first realization that various denominations and, and various believers will use biblical words, but they, they do not mean by those words what the Bible means. They don't, you know, one of the, today, you know, one of the big challenges that we have today is we have, uh, we have people preaching a message that they call grace. They call it the gospel of grace or the grace message. And, you know, the word grace is in the Bible. Well, the problem is most people or many people that are preaching that, you know, are, are being accused of what's called hyper grace. Well, there couldn't be any such thing as hyper grace. That's like saying hyper love, you know. But what they mean, what's being labeled now as hyper grace is where people have redefined grace and they've taken grace, love, mercy, kindness, and lumped them all into the same basket and given them one uh, overriding definition so that it really becomes a misdefinition of every one of those words. And it ends up being a real liberal theology of anything goes, doesn't matter what you do, God's going to forgive you, God's love, you know, he's a mushy marshmallow, he's never going to get upset, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, so you know, down through the years, uh, you know, I, I noticed this. I, you know, I'll never forget the first time I ever had a, I ever had a conversation with a, with a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. You know, they used the same words that the Bible uses, but they meant something completely different. Now, those of you that are watching this uh, broadcast, you know, you're, you're not out there probably, you're probably not out there talking to somebody that's totally off the rails. You're not out there just talking to somebody that's trying to lead you astray. But there probably you are reading words in the Bible. And this is why we call this 10 words. 10 words that change everything you know about God. And so you're reading words and you're applying definitions to those words based on what you grew up hearing, based on what your family's religious culture taught you that it meant. Or even if they did, you know, people who don't even have a religious culture have their own definitions of things, of biblical things. They don't, you know, they don't have any idea of whether it is or isn't in the Bible. But see, once a person accepts or assumes a particular definition for a word, then every time they hear that word, it actually evokes very specific thoughts, emotions, and concepts. Now, I'm telling you, I have seen some crazy, violent arguments and fights break out because one person, rather than asking for clarification, blows up, becomes violent because they're interpreting a word that they're hearing based on an incorrect meaning. Now, all words have a different history with every individual. You know, when, when I was a kid, I grew up in Tennessee, 
and uh, in the 50s and 60s. And um, in, in Tennessee, and you know, I was real fortunate. Let me just say this. I was really fortunate. You know, my, my father was a bootlegger and some of his bootlegger friends were black. And so, you know, there wasn't really a lot of racism in, in, in the community that I moved in, you know. And, uh, you know, my mother wasn't a racist. I never grew up hearing anything negative about black people. So, I, so there was, you know, now as kids, you know, there, there were certain conflicts, so to speak, or, or certain things that would happen just between young black kids and young white kids that was just as much one as it was the other. You know, if, if, if I walked through a, a black part of town, uh, and, you know, more than once, a, a bunch of black kids start chasing me and I'd have to outrun them and get home so I didn't get beat up. And I'm sure the same thing happened to them. So, it, but that's just, that's really just stupid kid stuff that you grow out of. But I was real fortunate. I did not grow up in, in a lot of racism. Now in Tennessee, we use the term boy and we called one another boys. Now what's interesting is now that's very predominant in the black culture. Uh, uh, you know, these are my boys, you know. Well, <clears throat> Then, in the, in the 60s, at the height of the racial conflicts, we moved to Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm telling you, it was a hotbed of racism, riots, bombings, and all that kind of stuff. I'd never, I'd never been around any of that, never seen any of that. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget one night I was walking, walking uh, uh, home from going to the movie. Of course, back then we called it the picture show, and my kids uh, corrected me about this. I like, don't call it that, Dad. That, nobody calls it that anymore. And, uh, and so I was walking back home. I was thirsty. There was a service station over there, and I went over to get a drink. And man, all of a sudden, all of these white guys bailed out of this service station. They were going to beat me up because I was drinking out of what was called the colored water fountain. I'd never seen a, a, two different water fountains. I never saw where there was a white and a colored water fountain. I'd never seen any of that. So I, I mean, I'm telling you, I was just as naive as the day was long. So, so and, I, and I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't grow up. But I was completely ignorant and completely naive about all things racial. Until uh, I referred to a group of guys on the playground as boys. Man. See, even though there were whites and, and blacks in the group, uh, the black kids became incredibly angry and hostile. And I had no idea what was happening. I was like, what? You know, you're calling me boy. I'm, I'm not a boy. You know, I had no idea. And, you know, if I'd known it would have been offensive, I, you know, I wouldn't have done it. But here's the point. You see, judgment is where you assume to know why somebody does something. Well, that word meant something to them because of their life experience that it did not mean to me. Now, I could have got the daylights beaten out of me because nobody was willing to say, why do you use the term boys? The white kids call each other boys. So, it, so I'm just using that as an example. I'm not trying to get into racial matters here, but, uh, but you know, and you, ha you always have to realize that there's terminologies that are incredibly insulting to people that really you have no idea of why it is. You, don't, you didn't even know that it was. Before you know it, you can be in a really conflicting situation. Now you say, well, what's this got to do with anything? Well, last week we started in this story um, where an expert in the law came and asked Jesus a question. Well, rather than assuming what exactly the expert in the law meant, Jesus did what he did so often. 
he asked him a question. Actually, he asked him two questions. And man, I'm telling you, the first time I ever saw this in Scripture, it changed my world. Jesus said, remember, this happened two different times. But Jesus says to him, well, what's written in your law? Now, that would be tantamount to somebody coming in and asking me or you a biblical question. We'll just say, well, what does the Bible say? And, you know, we think that if the person can read the same language that we, you know, that you're speaking, and we think if they can read the same language that, that, that their version of the Bible is written in, that they should be able to read it and they should be able to get it. Well, fortunately, Jesus showed us that just asking somebody what's in the scripture really, really is not enough. Here's what he says. Two questions. What is written in the law? But here it is. What is your reading of it? In other words, how do you interpret it? Now, we're going to get into this about how we interpret the Bible, how we, how we interpret God, how we interpret all things based on words that have been used for nearly 2,000 years incorrectly. And many of them were deliberately mistranslated in the Bible um, to fulfill the agenda of corrupt church leaders. And I'm not trying to beat up the church here, and I don't want you to get negative toward church. You know, these things happened, like I say, 1,800 years ago, and, and, and they've been passed down, passed down, passed down, passed down to such a degree that we just accept it as being uh, true just because it's been passed down. So here's what the lawyer said. And by the way, a, a lawyer was a person who basically uh, was an expert in the law, uh, the law of Moses. So he says, all right, you know, Jesus says, so what does the law say and how do you read it? He said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> well, man, this is a great answer. And as a matter of fact, this is the answer that any Jew would have given. If you had asked any Jew, if, probably if you ask any Jew today, uh, you know, what's the most important commandment? Th this is the commandment they would come to. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That, you know, that's what Jesus said were the two most important commandments. Hang everything else in the scripture on this. In other words, interpret everything in the scripture based on understanding this scripture. Well, here's the question, though, that, that you know, I, I think about when I think about this lawyer. It's like, well, if you knew the answer, why would you ask the question? Well, remember, he asked the question to test him on something. If you knew, the, if you knew what the answer was, if you already knew what the answer was, then you were working an agenda. And I'm telling you what, I, I, you know, I have that happen to me so often. I'll get emails uh, from people that are new to our broadcast or you know, new to reading my books and this sort of thing. And they will write me an email and it is loaded, man. It is loaded and they have an agenda. They're trying to prove that I'm saying something that many times I'm not saying. Um, uh, and, and that's what people do. So, you know, if you knew the answer to this, why did you ask the question? You know, Sometimes people write me and say, well, you know, you, know, you said this, but, but I think this. I'm like, well, if you think that, fine. You know, are you asking me a question? You're making a statement. You're trying to have an argument. What is it you really want here? 
Because you got, you know, you know, since you stated your position and since you stated that you knew what the scripture meant, why are you asking me a question? What's your agenda? You just want to argue or something. Now, we know from the scripture that this man really was not looking for an answer. Like I said, he was testing Jesus. Now, here's what's amazing. Despite the man's duplicitous motive, Jesus did what God always does. See, no matter why you're here, no matter what your agenda is, Jesus always turned it into an opportunity to help you if you were willing to get help. So Jesus replies to the guy and says, you know what? You have correctly answered this question. Do this and you'll live. But remember, Jesus asked him an earlier question. What does the Bible say? And how do you read it? In other words, how do you interpret what it says? So this religious legalist is just like every other fool who wants to argue. They think they're right, but evidently, inwardly, they're not that confident and they don't have that much peace because they wouldn't be asking these questions and having these arguments. See, here's the one thing I always know. When somebody wants to argue with me, Intellectually, they may think they're right, but deep in their heart, they know they're wrong. Or deep in their heart, they may even have the right information, but they're not connected with God. They're not at peace with God. They don't have that peace that passes all understanding. And so people who want to argue always know they've got a need. And if I can get past the argument with them, I'm going to try to help them, and I hope that's what you'll do. So again, if, you know, if these people had a deep sense of wholeness, they wouldn't need to argue. If their heart was at peace, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be troublemakers. They'd be peacemakers. So he, he really asked one more question that reveals his need. Jesus goes through this whole parable of the Good Samaritan, and he asked, ends up asking the question, well, or, or, let me say this. After he quotes this and Jesus said you were right, he ends up asking the question, well, who is my neighbor? And the Bible says he asked that question because he wanted to justify himself. Now, I'm just going to tell you, most argumentative questions come to us because people have an agenda. They're trying to convince themselves that what they believe is the truth, even though it's really not producing peace in their life. Even though it's, a, uh, even though it's, not, it's not really giving them peace and confidence and this sort of thing, they're clinging to it because they have this desperate need to be right. But here's the thing. If Jesus had not asked the questions, how do you read it? How do you interpret it? You see, he gave the right answer. This is the right scripture. And that's our, that's our issue. We have the right scripture, but how are we interpreting it? Well, I'm going to tell you something. We are interpreting it based on, like in this man's case, one thing, my definition of who my neighbor is. And sometimes we create definitions that, like in his case, okay, my neighbor is everybody but a Samaritan. You know, if, if you've got racial issues, your, your neighbor may be everybody but a white man or your neighbor may be everybody but a black man. And the way you read the Bible, 
exempts you from loving somebody of a different color, loving somebody with a different background, loving somebody from different beliefs. That's what you call a deceptive word that is corrupting you and you don't even know it. Listen, you probably want to check out my book, 10 things that will change, 10 words that will change everything you know about God. And of course, we've got a whole series that goes with this because I'm telling you, I want to help you take the veil off of your eyes and we're going to get in that. But listen, be sure and, and comment on this program. If you're watching this on YouTube or go to my website, comment on this program and, and like this so that other people, more people will hear it and see it because of it. And uh, share this with people. You know there's got to be people that you can help uh, uh, be able to get more of what they're looking for in God if they just hear a little bit of truth. So be sure and share this. And of course, always, 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 uh, you, can, you can get where you get this every single week by subscribing. Listen, we're going to pick this up next week. Be sure and be here. You don't want to miss a word of it. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.